0: Alright, welcome in guys. Today we are projecting the NFC West and we're going to start with the Cardinals. First off, last year they had one of the worst touchdown conversion rates in the red zone. What does this mean? It means that they're bound to have natural progression. For two reasons. Kyler Murray was a rookie quarterback last year and he's going to get better just from experience and from playing. And the same thing with Cliff Kingsbury, he was a rookie head coach last year. And you saw them start out really, really slow in the beginning, their offense was not great. And as the season got on from Kyler getting better and Cliff getting better as a coach, their offense got much better. So I think that this is actually a good thing when you're projecting the Cardinals this year, because there's no way they're gonna be as bad as last year. And they had some very good fantasy players. Kenyon Drake and Kyler Murray were both top five at their position at some point in the year. Kyler actually I believe finished top five and Kenyon Drake when he was with the Cardinals was averaging a ridiculous amount of points per game and was an RB1. So you already had production from players on that team last year and now their offense should be better. They should be able to score more touchdowns when they're in the red zone and have to settle for less field goals compared to what they did last year. So when we're looking at Kyler Murray, first off, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks to draft because he has a high floor from his rushing, much like Lamar Jackson. Now he doesn't run as much as Lamar Jackson, but he is one of the top runners in the NFL, the quarterback position without a doubt, and he has a very high floor and fantasy because of that. There's no way He's worse in fantasy football this year than he was last year. He started off pretty slow. He didn't have great weapons. Fitzgerald, you know, we've known for the past few years. He's towards the back end of his career. Christian Kirk is a good weapon, but he's not suited to be a number one. And Fitzgerald's not a number one anymore either. They also don't have a good offensive line. And there's just a lot of things going against Kyler Murray. And so he's going to be much better this year. That's without even mentioning the fact that they added DeAndre Hopkins, plus his natural progression in his second year, and Cliff Kingsbury should be much better in his second year coaching that offense. Last year, in four-point per passing touchdowns, Kyler Murray had 19 points per game. This year, I'm projecting him for 22.5, and I'll get into the stats at the end of the Cardinals, but I do have a increase in his completion percentage and yards per reception and mostly that's because of Hopkins if Hopkins wasn't added his yards per reception would not have changed that much for me but his completion percentage would have gone up just from him getting better and being around those uh, receivers in his offense for a second year but I have an increase in completion percentage and yards per reception because Hopkins is a threat that can do everything and He's definitely going to help Kyler get more out of every throw that he throws to DeAndre Hopkins, and I expect him to throw to Hopkins a lot. So now let's get into Kenyon Drake. He averaged 19.7 points per game last year with the Cardinals in PPR. He had a lot of touchdowns, so there is some regression um, that's going to come from that category, but 19.7 points per game is a lot, and I still think he's going to be very good this year. He has actually one of the highest yards per carry in the NFL for his career average. That's pretty crazy when you think about it, when you know what he came from. So his career average is 4.8 yards per carry. His entire career, other than the like last half or the half, the last half of the season last year that was with the Cardinals, the rest of his entire career has been in Miami. Miami has had a bad offense. They haven't had a great offensive line. They haven't had great threats in terms of You know what the defense has to plan for so really the defense it's not like Kenyon Drake was like the last option that they had to worry about and that's why he was averaging such a high yards per carry in Miami and some people would say okay well maybe Miami was just you know they were so bad they were down in games and so when they were running the ball the teams weren't really focused on stopping the run because they were beating Miami by so much they were just focused on the pass well while that seems like it could be an argument for why his yards per carry have been so high, all you have to do is look at the other running backs on that team that were in the same situation and getting carries at the same time. And that's not the case. Kenyon Drake has been averaging 4.8 while you have Kalen Blash, who we all know is horrible. And all the other running backs that they've given carries to have not really produced anything near Kenyon Drake. So Kenyon Drake averaged 5.2 with the Cardinals last year. So I'm projecting 5.1 Um, he could be higher. It really could be higher than 5.1 because the offense this year is going to be better than last year in Arizona. And last year they had Kyler Murray, Christian Kirk, kind of Larry Fitzgerald, and Kenyon Drake to worry about. Now they have Kyler to worry about more because he's going to be better. They have Christian Kirk to worry about just as much, but they also have to worry about one of the best receivers in the league, Arguably, you could say he's the best receiver in the league because he's much better after catch than Michael Thomas, and he's much better of an athlete as well. So there's going to be a lot of threats to worry about. They're not going to be able to focus on Drake at all, and so he actually might average more than he did last year, but I'm going to stay on the safe side and project him for less, just you know, just slightly above his career average of 4.8 for 5.1. Now, finally, let's get to DeAndre Hopkins. Over the last three years in Houston, DeAndre Hopkins has had a 32% target share. That is one of the highest target shares you will ever see in the NFL for a wide receiver. The only person that I had competing with him for target share uh, that high last year was Juju, but we saw that Big Ben got hurt, and of course, that's gonna mess everything up. So Hopkins is really one of the most dominant like if you want to say ball hogs in the NFL. And I don't necessarily think that's really going to change that much in Arizona because it's not like he was the only weapon in Houston, and that's why his target share has been so high. They've had Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, Duke Johnson. They've had other places you can throw the ball and spread the ball around. And Deshaun Watson is by no means a type of quarterback that locks in on one guy and just out like just targets him the entire time. Deshaun Watson is a good mental processor and he spreads the ball around well. So for Hopkins to be getting that big of a target share, I don't think it's going to change that much in Arizona. But we do know that Cliff Kingsbury last year ran a lot of four receiver sets and that is naturally going to hurt Hopkins a little bit. And that's why I have Hopkins at a 29% target share in Arizona. One other thing to help you feel confident in my projection of 29%. Last year, when Christian Kirk was on the field, which I believe off the top of my head was 13 games, I don't have it in front of me, it was between 11 and 13, when Christian Kirk was on the field, he had 25% of Kyler Murray's pass attempts, so he had a 25% target share, and DeAndre Hopkins is way better than Christian Kirk, so if Kirk was able to garner 25%, I think it's fair to say Hopkins can get 29%. So. It's really not much of a jump. It's only 4% difference. So Hopkins is still a fan, an elite fantasy wide receiver. He just doesn't have as big of a ceiling because there are some more uh, targets to spread the ball around to. And I actually have him just so you can get a general sense of what I say, what I mean when I say elite. I have him in front of Julio Jones right now. Um, so the only person I have in front of him, remember I've only projected so far the NFC South, but that has a lot of heavy hitters at the wide receiver position um, and the NFC West. This is just the first team I'm going over, but I've obviously, while I'm doing the podcast, projected all four teams in that division. So I have him above every wide receiver I've projected except for Michael Thomas, and Michael Thomas is probably going to be my wide receiver one. So he's an elite fantasy receiver because I have him over Godwin and Julio and anybody else you want to think of from these divisions. So now let's get to Christian Kirk. He is massively hurt by DeAndre Hopkins signing there. There's no doubt about it. I have not projected as the number two in the offense, and a lot of people will go back and forth with me on whether Larry Fitzgerald or Christian Kirk is the number two. But when Christian Kirk was in games, his target share was 25%. Larry Fitzgerald's was about 20%. And even when Christian Kirk was hurt, Larry Fitzgerald's target percentage wasn't even higher. It didn't even go up. So Christian Kirk had a higher percentage when Fitz was on the field with him. And even when Fitz was on the field by himself, his percentage still wasn't higher than Kirk when Kirk was on the field with both. So clearly to me, Christian Kirk is the number two and it's no slide on Fitz. Fitz is great. He's just not gonna be able to get as much targets as he once did. He's not the same guy. He's still got super, super good hands. Super reliable, he's a great route runner still. He works his butt off, but he's just not as athletic. And it's just, you know, natural natural things that happen from getting older. Um and so now let's go into Fitz. So I have him obviously as a lower target share than Christian Kirk from last year or for this year because it was like that last year. So I think it's gonna follow the same pattern. But because Hopkins came in, they're all just gonna get knocked down one notch. So Kirk was the one and Fitz was the two, now Kirk is the two, Fitz is the three. So I have Fitz at a 16% target share and Kirk at a 20%. So let me give you my projections. I kind of just round it just so it's easier for you to hear because when you say, at least what I've noticed, when people say projections by the exact yard and stuff, it's harder to, to process it quick and just you know go with the flow. So I'm just going to give you the rounding. Kyler Murray, I have him at 22 Point six points per game. I have him for about 4,200 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, about 550 rushing yards, and five rushing touchdowns. And right now, he is my quarterback one in these two divisions, so he's slightly ahead, slightly ahead of Russell Wilson. Kenyon Drake, I have at 18.1 points per game. Remember, that's About a point and a half per game lower than last year, mainly from touchdown regression. I think most of the other things are going to follow the same pattern in terms of rushing attempts and receiving work. So, except he will probably take a slight hit in receiving work, which I did project as well because of the addition of Hopkins. I have Drake for 1,200 rushing yards, 52 receptions. Oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't any, um, round that time. But 52 receptions, 350 receiving yards, and 13 total touchdowns. He was getting a touchdown a game last year. So I think on a better offense that'll have more scoring opportunities, it's fine to say that he's going to almost get the same. Hopkins, I have at 18.7 points per game. He's my wide receiver too, right behind Michael Thomas right now. I have him for 160 targets, about 100 receptions, 1350 receiving yards, and 10 touchdowns. Then i have fitzgerald and i think really the only thing with the deandre hopkins thing that you could argue um with me that i would like you know not go against is the touchdowns because he could have seven instead of ten but i'm not really going to nitpick on touchdowns um, when it comes to guys in fantasy football that i'm looking to draft if you're drafting based on touchdowns you're not really going to have a reliable or consistent team i like to draft off targets more and as long as I know that's a guy that can and has the potential and has done it before in terms of getting a lot of touchdowns. So Hawkins, 160 targets, that's a lot. And I think that he can get that very easily. Um, and even if you want to argue that, I don't think he's going to get less than, because 160 is 10 per game. I don't think he's going to get much less than 150. So Hawkins is going to be a really good receiver. Fitzgerald, I have at 9.6 points per game. About eighty-five targets, sixty receptions, six hundred fifty receiving yards, five touchdowns, and then Christian Kirk, one hundred ten targets, seventy receptions, seven hundred fifty yards, and five touchdowns. So that is the Cardinals, and now I'm going to go ahead and get into the Rams. All right, so let's talk about the Rams real quick before we get into each player. So their defense may be slightly worse last year, slightly. They lost Dante Fowler, they lost Nikel Roby Coleman, the cornerback, and they lost Corey Littleton. The linebacker. I think that's going to be the biggest loss for them, Corey Littleton. They also were not really able to replace it. They did add A'shaun Robinson on the defensive line after they lost Dante Fowler. And they added Leonard Floyd, who you can put at de- uh, defensive end, but also playing that linebacker. But he's not as good as Corey Littleton. So I think that there's going to be um, a noticeable difference on their defense in that department from the... Corey Littleton to Leonard Floyd so I think there's going to be a slight slight uh, decrease in how good their defense is they also are probably going to have a slight uptick of last year's past attempts they were already a team that passed a lot last year but with their defense getting slightly worse and losing Todd Gurley um, even though he was not the same Todd Gurley this last year with them or last year and a half if you want to say I do think that they ran the ball more that because they had Todd Gurley, and losing Todd Gurley is going to have them be more inclined to pass the ball in certain situations where maybe if they had Todd Gurley instead of Cam Akers or Darrell Henderson, they would run the ball. So I think at least they're going to at least pass the ball as much as they did last year, maybe with a slight increase. So with that said, now let's get into Jared Goff. So I am projecting him to be among the league leaders in pass attempts, And he's done it before. Not number one, maybe he has. I didn't really look into that part of it. But I do know that he passes a lot. And he's passed above 600 passing yards last year. He had a lot. And so I do think that he's going to be a decent fantasy option um, because of how much he's going to have to pass the ball. But you have to realize that a lot of times, especially when you lose weapons, like you lost Brandon Cooks, when you have to pass the ball a lot because you're behind it usually hurts your completion percentage stuff like that but Goff had a low completion percentage last year and a kind of low um yards per reception or completion for him it's reception for receivers but he also had a slightly lower yards per completion but I do think for losing Brandon Cooks because Brandon Cooks was inconsistent and he was hurt and he was a deep threat, that in this particular instance, losing that weapon will actually increase Jared Goff's completion percentage because he's losing somebody that he threw the ball to in situations where you're not going to have a high completion percentage, deep balls, and also uh, Brandon Cooks was going deep a lot. So um sorry not going deep a lot we already said that um he was hurt a lot so that also made it harder to you know be consistent on your routes and stuff like that so I think losing cooks is going to hurt his yards per completion because he's not going to have that deep threat that he did um woods is still a good deep threat but that's pretty much all that they have now in that part of the game so I think he's going to have to throw a lot more intermediate short routes Um, so his completion percentage will be higher but his yards will be lower per completion And I do think he's going to have some positive regression for his touchdown rate. Um, I have him going up by 0.8%. So last year, he only threw a touchdown on 3.5% of his touchdowns. That is horrible. And while I don't believe in Goff as a quarterback, I think he's more a product of McVay's system. Um, I do think that he's going to be able to get up from 3.5 back to around his career average. I have him going from 3.5 to 4.3 this year. Then we have Cam Akers. So uh, this is one of those guys that I'm very intrigued in, and I may be drafting higher than what I have him, or where I have him slotted in my projections. Because I do recognize that Cam Akers has a high ceiling. We've seen uh, Todd Gurley be really good with, the Rams. And so we know that that ceiling is there for a good running back. Cam Akers averaged a decent yards per carry on one of the worst offensive lines in college football. He's going to a pretty bad offensive line in Los Angeles. So you could say it's a perfect fit. I mean, he's going to be doing what he's been used to doing. So I don't see how he, even though Todd Gurley averaged like 3.8 yards per carry, I believe it was last year, um, I don't see how Cam Akers um, has an average lower than four yards per carry because he didn't in FSU, and FSU had a horrible O-line, and Cam Akers was one of their only weapons. So very similarly, he's going to the Rams where they don't have a great O-line, but he's not one of the only weapons. They have Christian Ker- uh not Christian Kirk, Cooper Cup. They have Tyler Higbee. They have Robert Woods. So... And they drafted Van Jefferson, who I think is going to be a decent addition as well. So Cam Akers has a huge ceiling. Here's the other thing. Some people are worried about Darrell Henderson. I'm not. He's a handcuff, plain and simple. Cam Akers was their first pick in this NFL draft. Their first pick. And they have lots of holes on their roster. And they're missing multiple first-round picks from all the trades that they've made. So if they spent their first pick which was a second rounder, which is high equity for a running back. On Cam Akers, you better expect them to use Cam Akers like an RB1. So I think Akers is going to get used a lot, and so I do expect a sizable workload. He's also a good receiver, and he could be the second best rookie running back um, if he gets a good workload um, behind, obviously, Clyde, edwards Hilaire, because Clyde's going to be in a more explosive offense and be utilized more in the passing game. But I think that Cam Akers has a very good chance to outperform a Jonathan Taylor or a J.K. Dobbins or whoever other rookie running backs you might compare him to. So let's get into, I already said Darrell Henderson, he's a handcuff. I'm not too worried about it. Yes, I know he was a third round pick, but they didn't really use him when they had the opportunity last year uh, when Todd Gurley was uh, hurt and when they were, you know, reducing Gurley's. Uh, workload and his carries and they were giving a lot of carries to Malcolm Brown instead of Darrell Henderson and I don't want you to think that it's because he was a rookie because we know that running back is the easiest transition in the NFL from college to the NFL so being a rookie doesn't really hurt your chances unless it's like a coach thing but I don't think that that's what was going on so now let's get into Cooper Cup this is super interesting so last year and I don't like to toot my own horn much, but I'm going to here because I want you to be confident in what I'm going to say next. So last year, I was very, very good at projecting the Rams offense, especially the target shares to their receivers. Chris, uh, I keep saying Christian Kirk. Sorry, we were just talking about the Cardinals. Um, Cooper Cup last year was my wide receiver to draft from LA because remember, a lot of people had Cooks. Woods and Cup all inside the top twenty four um all as wide receiver twos, except me, I had Christian cup as C- cooper Cup as a wide receiver one, actually, he was inside my top ten, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, he was either my wide receiver eight or nine last year, and so I got him everywhere, and it worked out pretty well for most of that season, and he was clearly the number one last year, um among their wide receivers, so I love Cooper Cup, which is what I want you to remember because I'm on the exact opposite side this year. Last year, I was, last year I was right, so hopefully I'm right again. So Cooper Cup, last year before Tyler Higbee broke out, was getting 11 targets per game. That's a lot. Yes, the Rams are throwing the ball a lot, so it's not going to be as high as a percentage as you would initially think when you're looking at 11 targets per game because that's what... One hundred and seventy six yeah one hundred seventy six targets on a season, which is insane, um but they threw the ball a lot, so the percentage would be a little lower than you'd think, but anyways, after Tyler Higby broke out, Cooper cup went from eleven targets per game to six, almost cut in half, and it makes sense if you think about it because what is Cooper cup? Cooper cup is a slot receiver slot receivers um their domain on the field is short and intermediate routes. What do tight ends usually run? Short and intermediate routes. So if Higby was exploding, it's hard for Cooper Cup to keep doing what he was doing because they run in similar areas of the field. So since they patrol those same areas, you have to pick one this year. Either you believe in Cooper Cup and you're uh, throwing Higby to the side, or you throw Cooper Cup to the side and you believe in Tyler Higby. So you have to pick one. I choose to go the Higby side, and I'll get to that later, and I'll explain more why. But Cooper Cup, I have him projected still for a good target share, 18%. um, And I think he's going to be a touchdown hog still, even when Higby broke out. The one thing Cooper Cup did keep going was his rate of touchdowns per game. So I still have him projected for a good touchdown count. I just don't think that he's going to be getting massive amounts of targets like he was last year. So that's Cooper Cup. Now we have Robert Woods. Robert Woods had more targets and more yards than Cooper Cup once Higby got involved, okay? So Cup was the wide receiver one because of what he, what his role was until Higby started... Um, what's the word? I'm trying to think of the word for, like, when someone comes into your territory. But when Higby started going into the same part of the field... And getting used as much as he did that ended up hurting cup and woods started getting more targets and yards so if the rams start implementing tight ends this is the key if the rams start implementing tight ends more then i think robert woods is going to be the better wide receiver he has a low touchdown count but this leaves room for value and room for a ceiling so Last year I was drafting Cup and was right, like I said, but this year I'm drafting Woods. Woods is the one that I'm drafting. And you can get him a little bit later than Cup, so that's also a, a bonus. So even if you like hold them equal, take Woods around later. Then we have Van Jefferson. I don't think he's gonna be that great, but I like to try and touch on rookie receivers because I wanna see how I think they're gonna impact in on an individual level the offense and also for the dynasty guys. So I think he should be the wide receiver three in front of Reynolds because he was the second pick by the Rams. And similar to Akers, the Akers pick, they have much bigger needs than running back and receiver, especially a receiver when you have Woods and Cup and Josh Reynolds, who a lot of people liked. So for them to take Van Jefferson, why would they go wide receiver if he's not going to see the field? So in my opinion, he completely ruins Josh Reynolds. So if you have any shares of Josh Reynolds, I'm sorry, but I really think that that is going to be pretty much um, useless now to you, especially because they're going to be starting to use tight ends more. So it's not like the wide receivers are going to have as many targets on a whole as they used to. So now let's get into Higby and why I'm putting shade on Cooper Cup this season and why I'm buying into Higby. So he got heavily involved right before Gerald Everett got injured and he took advantage Gerald Everett came back, but Higby stayed as the number one. Higby was on pace for 165 targets last year after he started getting involved, which was week 10. So after week 10, he was on pace for 165 targets, and he was very good. They also, and this is something that is very interesting to me, they also drafted Bryson Hopkins. They have Gerald Everett, and they have Tyler Higby. Why would you draft another tight end, especially... When you're drafting him in the third or fourth round, I don't remember which round he was taken in, um, but it was the third or fourth, and that's pretty high equity for a position that's, for a guy that's going to be the third on your depth chart at a position that a lot of people don't think you're going to use a lot, but that's the thing. They are going to use it. That's going to be the change in the offense this year. That's what I'm projecting, and that's what I think is indicated by that draft pick. They're going to use tight ends more because they saw that it really helped out Jared Goff and their offense when Tyler Higbee was patrolling the field more and getting targets and they actually started using tight ends. And so it makes me very, very comfortable in my projections for Tyler Higbee because of the fact that they drafted another tight end because they're going to use tight ends more and they want to have security of the position. So... I have Tyler Higby at 134 targets. That's a 21% target share. 134 targets is much less than 165. Last year, he was on pace for 165. And remember, I have Jared Goff throwing a tiny bit more this year than last year. So if I was projecting the same target count this year as last year, or the same uh, target share this year as last year since I have Goff throwing more, Higby would be on pace for 170-something targets, okay? But I actually only have him at 134, 21% target share. That's slightly more than Cooper Cup. And that's when they were both on the field last year when Higby got really involved. Higby was getting about nine targets per game and Cup was getting about six. That's a much bigger difference than 3% target share. That's the difference I have now because I think it's going to come a little bit closer to the middle between Higby and Cup. And so with a 21% target share. I actually have Tyler Higbee between these two divisions as my tight end two. I have him at 14 and a half points per game um, and he's only behind George Kittle who of course is going to be higher than him. So I'll get into the rest of my projections now. I just gave you Higbee's points. Um, Higbee I have him for 135 targets, about 134 to be exact. Um, 95 receptions because he is very good at he has a high catch rate and a thousand yards. So he has a high catch rate, partly because he doesn't go that deep. Off 95 receptions, only 1,000 yards. That's barely more than 10 per catch. So when you see that 95 targets, don't or that 95 reception count, don't think I'm like projecting him to be my tight end one because he's not going to be a guy who makes massive yards off each catch like a George Kittle or a Travis Kelsey. Um, so that's what I have him at, and then a, a six touchdowns. So then we have Jared Goff, 19.4 points per game. I have him for 4,750 passing yards, 27 passing touchdowns, 50 rushing yards, and 1 rushing touchdown. Then Cam Akers, 12.7 points per game, 900 rushing yards, 35 um receptions 300 receiving yards and a total of nine touchdowns between rushing and receiving here's the thing with camp Akers, though i have him for 900 rushing yards because i have him splitting a lot of carries with darrell henderson that's more me being safe because until preseason happens i'm not going to go out on a limb and say camp Akers is going to get everything like it's going to be an 80 20 split like i don't i'm not going to go out on a limb and say something like that until i see it so right now i'm being a little bit more safe and I have Akers and Henderson on an about sixty five thirty five split, split. Um, so that's why I have Cam Akers at 900 rushing yards. Then we have Darrell Henderson. I have him at 4.8 points per game, which when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that is really low. Let me just double check a few of these things that I projected. But that's actually better than what he did last year. Last year, he had like 16 fantasy points on the season or like 25 fantasy points in the season, which is like two per game. So Darrell Henderson, I actually have him being a little bit better, but still he's just a handcuff. 400 rushing yards, five touchdowns, 50 res- oh, five receptions, sorry. 400 rushing yards, five receptions, 50 touch fifty, receiving yards, and four touchdowns. Then I have Cooper Cup, 14.6 points per game, 115 targets, 80 receptions, 900 yards, and 10 touchdowns. So like I said, I still have him high in the touchdown count because that maintained even when Higby was involved. Then we have Robert Woods at 14.8, slightly above Cooper Cup, and you're going to get him at a discount. So Woods is the guy I'm drafting. 130 targets, 85 receptions, 1,100 yards, because he runs a little bit deeper routes than Cooper Cup, and five touchdowns. So I only have him at five touchdowns, and I still have him projected for more points than Cooper Cup. Woods might get more than five touchdowns, Cup might get less than 10 touchdowns, so that gives you even more incentive to buy in to what I'm saying with the Robert Woods over Cooper Cup this year. Then we have Van Jefferson, 7.4 points per game, 75 targets, 45 receptions, 550 yards, and three touchdowns. And then we have Tyler Higby, who I guess I'll just give it to you one more time, 14.5 points per game, 135 targets, 95 receptions, 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. That's the Rams. Now let's get right into the Seahawks. So the Seahawks are super interesting. We see Russell Wilson being a guy that when he throws the ball a lot is great for fantasy. And when he doesn't, he's not that great for fantasy for obvious reasons, just because he's not getting the opportunity to throw the ball much. So I'm going to tell you the state of the team right now. And it's going to set the foundation for my projections. They are losing, the Seahawks, they're losing from their defense, Ezekiel Ansa. A great defensive end, Jadevian Clowney, who needs no introduction. And Michael Kendricks, who is a really good linebacker. Um, Some people don't really know about him, but he's a very good linebacker. And he has been for a while. So they already had one of their worst defenses over the last, you know, six, seven years during Russell Wilson's tenure. They already had probably either this year or last year, the worst defense that he's ever had on his team while he was there. Now it's going to be way worse because they're losing three very good guys. And those three guys were a huge part of why their defense was able to do what it was last year. So this is going to be the worst defense. And I say this confidently. This is going to be the worst Seahawks defense Russell Wilson has ever had. What does that mean? Russell Wilson will likely have to throw the ball more than he ever has. When your defense is at its worst. Your passing game has to be at its finest. You gotta throw the ball to stay in games. So keep that in mind, and it's gonna play a big part in my projections for their team. Russell Wilson threw 32 times per game, per game last year. That's pretty low. Um, that's lower than most other teams. Um, one team that I know for sure that was lower was the 49ers, but we know they had an amazing defense and pounded the ball in the run game. So, and they were at twenty nine and a half or 30 um, passes per game last year, the 49ers, but we'll get into them later. We're talking about the Seahawks right now, and they threw 32 times a game last year. This year, I'm projecting, like I said, a huge increase, 35.5 per game this year. So three and a half passes more per game. You got to take that away from the rushing category because I'm projecting a similar amount of offensive plays. I think Russell Wilson is going to have a slightly lower completion percentage due to being forced to throw the ball more. Since he's going to be in situations where they would normally run because they're either, you know, winning the game or they're very close in the game and they would choose to run on, you know, a 3rd and 4 or a 3rd and 3 because C- Seattle does do that. Um I which I commend because they're they are committed to their run game. It's just going to be hard to be that committed this year. And so Russ is going to have more situations where he has to throw the ball, and he's going to be forced into some bad throws that he's going to have to hope somebody comes down with more often. He's going to have a lower completion percentage due to that. Um, He also has almost a 7% touchdown rate over the last three years. That's insane. The league average and what's considered good is about 5%. So 7% is amazing. Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks. I would say he's the best quarterback after Patrick Mahomes in the NFL. And I have him projected for a decrease in that category as well, but still much higher than the NFL average because, like I said, he's been doing it at 7% for the last three years. I have him projected for 5.8% touchdown rate. So with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, I actually have them super similar. Tyler Lockett had a 21% target share last year, even at the end of the year when DK Metcalf was coming on more, as you would see with rookie receivers. So I think it's going to be the same. I think it's going to be the same here. I'm projecting a 21% target share again, because they haven't really had any changes in their passing game. They've picked up some depth guys and lost some depth guys. That's not really going to make a difference. DK Metcalf was, 19%, was at a 19% target share last year. And he surprisingly didn't get that many more targets later on in the year than he was getting in the beginning of the year, which usually is what you see with rookie receivers, but they tried to involve him right away. Now, with 19% last year, I do think we're going to see a slight bump. I have him going to 22% target share. Why? Because they have been talking about expanding the route tree DK Metcalf and that probably means more short and intermediate routes so he's gonna have more options he's gonna be able to do more um, more diverse things in the offense so he's gonna be getting more targets and also Russell Wilson is gonna be more comfortable with him in year two so that also naturally get him a few more targets so with the expanded route tree and now running short and intermediate routes more than he was before I think his catch rate is going to go up because he's not going to just be trying to get deep balls and shoulder fades and all that stuff, but he will have a lower yards per reception, obviously, because he's catching the ball much closer to the line of scrimmage. With Chris Carson, I think he's going to get less carries due to a worse defense and having a lead less often. Um, I mean, plain and simple. And he did, this is a a good note, he did out-touch Rashad Penny um, about, 75 to 25 percent last year and Rashad Penny he can't really stay healthy he's currently hurt right now and he's not used much in the passing game Rashad Penny we're not even going to talk about we're not going to project much DJ Dallas is who I'm projecting as the backup for Christian for Chris Carson they just drafted him he's a rookie I just think he's a handcuff nothing more like I said Penny only got 25 percent to Carson's 75 percent and Penny was a first round pick And that was when he was healthy. So I don't think that you're going to have anything going on with DJ Dallas. He's not really going to be that relevant Um, unless Chris Carson goes down. Otherwise, in that case, he's a high upside handcuff. With the tight ends, it's pretty confusing. You have Greg Olson, Jacob Hollister, and Will Disley. And we have to figure out who's the number one. Who's going to be the clear guy that... The tight uh, that the Seahawks are going to use at tight end. Is there even going to be a clear guy that they use, or are they going to use all three intermittently? And is it going to be frustrating? And we're not going to want to play any of them. So, for me, I do think they're going to commit to somebody much more than the others. Just it seems like that's what they've done. They've just been forced to use more guys every year because people always get hurt. We know this about Disley. So, I think the signing of Greg Olson, just because of how old he is. Um, He's not too old, he's not like a Jason Witten, but just because he's older and they still decided to sign him, I think that that means they want to use him, and maybe Disley is just going to be a guy that they use a little bit because they want to keep him healthy. And Jacob Polster, while he did do some good stuff, he's not really, he was just a product of Russell Wilson, I believe, and he's not really that great of a player. He's good, but he's just a good depth piece at tight end. So I think Greg Olson is going to be the guy. Here's the thing: if you want, if you think Disley's going to be the guy, and you agree with me, that's your prerogative. I am not going to fight you on that at all because it very well might be Will Disley, and maybe Olson is just the backup in case Disley gets hurt. Um, so you can pick whichever you want or whichever one you want, but I do think that no matter who the tight end is the main tight end, if they do commit to one, is going to get a decent target target share. Um, obviously, their catch rate and stuff will change the stats, but I do think whoever the tight end is, is going to get about 90 targets. And so that's what I have Olsen at. So now I'll we'll get into my projections. I have Greg Olsen at 90 targets, just looking at his catch rate, his yards per reception, as well as how that changes from going from the Panthers to the Seahawks and what tight ends, what the Seahawks usually do, I have him getting 65 receptions off those targets, 700 receiving yards, and seven touchdowns at 11 points per game. Then for Russell Wilson, I have him at 22.1 points per game, 4,400 yards. Remember, he's going to be throwing the ball more than he may ever have had to in the past, so he's going to probably have a high yardage compared to ever before as well. So I have him at 4,400 passing yards, 33 passing touchdowns, 400 rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown. Chris Carson, I have him at 14 points per game, 1,050 rushing yards, 40 receptions, 300 receiving yards, and nine touchdowns. DJ Dallas, just for you Dynasty guys, I have him at 5.1 points per game, 350 rushing yards, 15 receptions, 150 yards, and receiving yards, and two touchdowns. And here's DK and Tyler Lockett. So for me, I'm taking, much like I had Woods and Cup actually pretty close to each other, I have DK and Lockett pretty close to each other as well. So I'm taking whatever one I can get later. Um, And usually it seems like DK's going um, before Lockett, and I actually have Lockett slightly above him. I have DK at 15.3 points per game. I have Lockett at 15.4 points per game. I have DK at 125 targets to Tyler Lockett's 120. DK at 75 receptions for 1,100 yards. Lockett at 85 receptions for 1,100 yards. So Lockett actually has a higher catch rate than um DK Metcalf. So that's why even with five less targets, I think he's going to get 10 more receptions, as well as DK having a getting more yards per reception so even though DK has 10 less receptions I think he's going to get about the same yardage as Tyler Laquette remember I'm rounding I don't have them both at exactly 1100 but I do have them both exactly at nine touchdowns and that's kind of what we saw last year I don't think it's going to be any farther than maybe two touchdowns from each other maybe DK gets 11 and Lockett gets seven or maybe Lockett gets 11 DK gets seven or maybe it's 10 and eight in either direction but I don't really think that they're going to be that far from each other so I'm not too worried about the touchdowns because Lockett's been pretty consistent with touchdowns obviously we've only seen DK for one year because he was a rookie but he seems like a good tight end uh not tight end a good touchdown target for Russell Wilson so I like them both pretty equally I'm just going to take whichever one I can I can get later on which seems to be like it's going to be Tyler Lockett so that is the Seahawks and now we have one team left and that's going to be the 49ers All right, so let's talk about them. There's not very many significant team changes other than losing Emmanuel Sanders. They did trade DeForest Buckner away, but they replaced him at the same position defensive tackle with Javon Kinlaw in the first round. So I think that their defense is going to be pretty solid. They're going to have a great defense again. They might have slightly outperformed in terms of their secondary Um, so they might see a slight downturn in that, but they were so good last year that I still think that even a tiny bit of regression in the secondary is not going to hurt them much. So they're going to have a great defense. They're not going to have to pass the ball a lot, just like last year and the year before that over the last two years, Jimmy Garoppolo's only had to pass the ball 30 times per game, which is among the, like among the league leaders in terms of like how low. Past attempts were. So what we really have to do with the 49ers is parse out the running game because that's where most fantasy points are coming from with the Niners, and we want to know who's gonna be getting those fantasy points. So last year, this it has never taken me, at least this year so far. I have never spent so much time trying to figure out how I'm gonna project the running game for a team this year more than I did with the 49ers. It was very difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. It was very difficult to parse out the running game. Um, A big reason was because they were using so many guys from Matt Breda to Tevin Coleman to Raheem Mostert to Jeff Wilson. Like, they were using so many people. And not only that, but a lot of times people were getting injured. All of those running backs, it seemed like, were injured at one point at least, most of them for multiple points throughout the season. Some of them were playing while they were still not 100%, so that affected how much carries they got. So there's so much to look at that you can't really just pull, give me one stat, pull me one stat, especially if you're not looking game to game and say, this is how it is, this is what they do. Oh, they use, you know, like one person pointed out that last season, they had three guys get more than like 100 and. 30 rushing attempts or something okay they did but that doesn't mean that they use three backs on a game-to-game basis they what I've noticed is that they usually um game by game gave the bulk of carries to only two backs so I don't think they're as much of an enigma as other people do um I think that they're just a one-two punch team pretty simple they just, so many times in so many games where they were using two backs, one of those backs got hurt, and so it caused them to bring in a third back and make it look like they just give backs to three, or give carries to three backs. But usually only two backs got the bulk of carries, and I'll give you an example of what I mean, um, because injuries made it seem way more random than it really was. In week one, I was at this game. versus my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tevin Coleman and Matt Breda were the one and two. And then Tevin Coleman goes down. I think it was like the end of the second quarter. And so now they have Breda still, but they have to replace Coleman in the one two punch, so they bring in Raheem Moster. So in that first game, you have Coleman, Breda, and Moster getting at or above double digit carries. Because they ran the ball a lot last year. Um and there were many times that you had three different running backs getting more than like seven carries eight carries and that was because a lot of times somebody got hurt just like in that bucks game so that was the example i just wanted to give so it's not that they're using three guys it's more they use two guys somebody gets injured so let's go to jimmy Garoppolo. i'll give you the projections on him real quick not too um complicated jimmy Garoppolo has had like i said earlier 30 pass attempts per game last last year and the year before that their great defense will likely keep it that way. We even saw their defense last year was much better than the year before, and that year before, Jimmy Garoppolo still was only throwing the ball 30 times per game. So I think that's a safe projection. They also traded away Matt Breda, so that's one thing of note. Um, and they drafted, so they traded away one of their running backs, and they drafted in the first round, traded up to get Brennan Ayuk a wide receiver. So I think this might give us a subtle hint at a bit more passing, but I don't think it's gonna be much. So I have him at 31 attempts per game. Then we have Debo Samuel last year um, with Emmanuel Sanders on the field. He had a 20% target share. I have him for a slight uptick, 22% projected now with Emmanuel Sanders gone. He only had three touchdowns in the passing game. He did have three in the rushing game. I think that's not gonna be sustainable. I think he might get one, maybe two in rushing, but that's not really something that you wanna rely on but I do think you're going to see positive touchdown regression for Debo Samuel in the passing game. He's not going to only get three touchdowns. He's probably going to get more like five or six. Then you have Brandon Ayuk. Right now, I believe he is my highest rated rookie wide receiver, but remember the two divisions I've been working with have not really had any of the top profile wide receivers. The next division I'm going to do is the NFC East, and that will be more high profile because I have Jalen Rager and CeeDee Lamb. So, to look at. But Brandon Ayuk right now is my highest rated rookie wide receiver. Emmanuel Sanders had 18% target share last year. I think Ayuk is going to be somewhat similar because you have to remember Emmanuel Sanders came in the middle of the season, had no established chemistry. And that's kind of what it's going to be like for Brandon Ayuk, especially with all this Corona stuff going on where teams are not getting, being able to get together, get their plays together and work on playbooks and all that stuff right now. So, I think it's gonna be a similar situation. Brandon Ayuk, I have him for sixteen percent, um, percent, uh, target percent. Sorry, target share compared to Emmanuel Sanders eighteen from last year. Brandon Ayuk is more of a deep guy than Emmanuel Sanders, so he's gonna have a lower catch rate, a higher yards per reception, but it's gonna be harder to get as many targets when you're running more deep routes, just because you don't throw the deep ball as much as you do the other areas of the field. That's why I'm at six. I have him at sixteen percent instead of eighteen. Then we have George Kittle. George Kittle's a target hog. 26% target share. And it's really honestly it's too bad that Jimmy Garoppolo is not asked to throw the ball more because at that at that target share percentage if Jimmy threw the ball like the average NFL team and was throwing for, you know, 540 attempts instead of 490 attempts, George Kittle would be so much better. So that's really the only thing that holds George Kittle back. Then we have Raheem Mostert. He is extremely efficient. 5.6 yards per carry last year. He was their best back by far. They even traded away Matt Breda, who was significantly better than Tevin Coleman, and this signals confidence in my mind in Raheem Mostert. He should be their lead guy. Here's the other thing too. Raheem Mostert not only averaged 5.6 yards per carry, which is 1.6 yards per carry more than Tevin Coleman's four flat but Tevin Coleman also or sorry Raheem Moster also had four and a half yards per reception more than Coleman Coleman is just not an explosive guy anymore Um, he never was like the most explosive but for some reason maybe it's just because he has lingering injuries or whatever the case may be Raheem Mostert is way more explosive, and I think that the team is going to recognize that because he finally got the opportunity last year with 137 carries, I believe. Um. So they saw him a lot in-game. And a lot of people... This is a kind of a, a topic up for debate between um just how much involvement Mostert is going to get. I do think that there's one thing that holds true. Um, it's that... You can find a guy like Raheem Mostert that just turns it on. He has something that other guys don't have when it comes to end game. So Mostert didn't see the field. He was on their team for two years before last year. I think it was two years. Um, And he was behind like Breda and Alfred Morris and Tevin Coleman and stuff. And he didn't really see the field. And somebody I was going back and forth with on Twitter, he made a lot of good points about that. But in my opinion... And I mean, we are, we are all entire entitled to our own opinions. But in my opinion, I believe that he might not look amazing on the practice field. Some people are just completely different beasts in game compared to on the practice field. And I think Kyle Shanahan finally saw that in Moster, And I think he's going to respect that. I think he's going to move forward with, with, with that. And that's why they traded away Matt Breda. So I don't think that there was really, there's any concern in the fact that Mostert was on their team for so long and didn't really see the field I think now that he has seen the field and he did so good he's going to be the guy there now Tevin Coleman was the worst running back of the three last year by far he had only four yards per carry with Breda and Mostert being over five point, uh, 5.0 uh so five flat yards per carry he also had the worst yards per reception last year he probably gets slight receiving work over Mostert even though Mostert has been better just because you can't they they probably don't wanna overload Mostert too much. And Coleman was the receiving back. He's just been a receiving guy for Shanahan, both with the Falcons and now with the Niners. Um so I think he has a slight receiving bump over Raheem Mostert. I think they're both gonna be flex play guys. I have Mostert as like a back end RB two or high flex play, preferably a high flex play, and I have Tevin Coleman as a low flex play. So here are my projections. I have Jimmy Garoppolo. At 18.1 points per game, he's my lowest projected quarterback of these two divisions, tied at 18.1 with Teddy Bridgewater. And then you ha- I have him for 4,300 yards, 28 touchdowns, 50 rushing yards, zero rushing touchdowns. Raheem Mostert I have at 12.6 points per game, 1,100 rushing yards, 15 receptions, 150 receiving yards, and 10 total touchdowns. Last year he had nine, so I think he's going to be the main guy now and as a a team as a whole they had a lot of touchdowns go to their running back position so don't think that 10 is a lot because it's really not tevin coleman i have at 10.1 points per game 700 rushing yards 25 receptions 200 receiving yards and eight touchdowns then debo samuel i have at 14.5 points per game 110 reception uh targets 75 receptions a thousand yards seven touchdowns plus he gets some rushing on the side so that's good um The rushing I have him for, I think is like, uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but I believe it's like 100 something yards and one touchdown. So he has that rushing on the side too, which is cool. Then you have Brandon Ayuk, I have him for 8.4 points per game, 80 targets, 45 receptions, 650 receiving yards and four touchdowns. And George Kittle, the man himself, the beast, 16.5 points per game, which is a lot for a tight end, 130 targets, ninety five receptions twelve hundred yards, and eight touchdowns um that's also actually something that you could look at something that holds back Kittle is he's not much of a touchdown guy um he hasn't had double digit touchdowns last year he wasn't on pace for double digit touchdowns um so he's more of that like seven to like six to nine range um so I have him at eight. But he's still a beast because he gets targets and he does a lot with those targets. So that is the NFC West for you. And hope you guys have a good one. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening to Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Peace out.